Well, welcome to part two of our series entitled Relation Slips. Not relationships, but relation slips. Because we all have relationships, but man, a whole lot of people haven't taught us through high school and college on how to navigate through them. So they're not as healthy as maybe they should be. And so as a church, we want to help you with this. And last week we talked about covenant relationships, what that looks like, and the power of small groups. Small groups just kicked off. Anybody excited about small groups? They just kicked off last week. Make sure you jump in one. And then today, I want to focus a different feel, a different focus. I'm going to deal with marriage at the marriage conference. But today, I want to talk to you about kids. I'm going to talk to you about raising kids, parenting kids, and what that relationship maybe should look like. I know there's a lot of strain. we got a lot of questions about this area. So I feel like this is going to help you today. And I want you to be engaged. Grab your notes. When you came in today, you got some notes that look like this. Grab a pen. And uh, when you hear a point that you like, man, we say amen. We're a loud church. Can I hear a good amen? Amen. We amen. We don't golf clap. We really clap here. (laughs) Super excited that we don't have to do this by ourselves. We have a God who loves us and cares, and we have a family who can support us along the journey. So let's let's open up with Psalm chapter 127. Psalm chapter 127. Psalmist writes, children are a heritage from the Lord. In other words, their legacy. There's heritage there. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior. I like that. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior. we got to make sure that they shoot straight, that they hit the target. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. I don't know how many full is, but I have four girls. And we had four under two. I feel like that was full. I feel very full. Kids are the cutest, though, aren't they? Wow, you guys hate kids. You really need this message. (laughs) Kids are the cutest. Nope, you haven't seen mine, Sean. You haven't seen mine. That's why we come to church, just to get away from them. Put them in the nursery. No, they are the cutest. I feel like our church has like the cutest kids. Honestly, I really, really do. All the other churches have ugly kids. Our church has amazingly cute kids. (laughs) So cute. Here's what's weird. It's weird to think, look around. Every one of us used to be one. Every one of us were in diapers at one time. We were all in the nursery at one time. Isn't that a weird thought? Like, that's a weird thought. I was a kid at one time. Strange. Here's a little throwback picture. That time when I played Anakin Skywalker in Star Wars. Come on, look at that ball cut. I'm going to bring that back. Just I'm going to roll into church next week like, what's up? I love, I love my nephew. He's so cute. He's just, I think he's one and a half or something like that. And I took a video of him falling asleep. He was trying to stay awake. Check it out. Check it out. Put this on social media. Oh, yeah. This is that sleepy feeling when you comes across, comes over your life in church. This is what you'd be like. Stay awake. I want to miss it. I want to hear it. I want to hear it. I want to hear it. Nope. I'm going down. What'd you say? Nope. And I'm out. And I'm out. That's Noah. That's my little nephew. Give it up for Noah. Love that little guy. Kids are so cute, but here's, here's what we've been giving the kids for. Proverbs 22, verse 6 is probably a great theme verse. It says this, train up a child in the way they should go. And when they're old, they won't trip. That's the Sean Neff said paraphrase. When they're old, they won't depart from it. Here's what it does not mean. A lot of times we think, well, when they're 97 years old, they'll come back to Jesus. That's not what it means. If we train them up in the right way, they won't ever depart from the teachings of the Lord. And today I want to teach you how to have a healthy relationship with your kids, parenting, what that looks like. Because I feel like there's a lot of relationships that slip out of place with this area. And I know some of you don't have kids. That's totally fine. Listen, you can still impact generations beneath you. Can I hear an amen? Like, they need your influence. They need some spiritual moms, some spiritual dads. This generation needs some good influence. And, and here's why. Because kids, they don't make the best decisions on their own. I have four of them. Let me tell you a couple stories, all right? How many want to hear a couple stories about the Nepstad girls? We moved in, and my daughters at the time, I think, were like four, three, and two. The twins were two. And so they're not talking much. But Hadassah is up in the room, and Mariah was, comes running downstairs because Diane and I are painting the downstairs room. We just moved into this house, right? So Mariah comes running down in her diaper, and she has olive green feet. 
She can't talk and communicate, but she's like, mm-mm. My wife is like, mm-mm, I can't even deal with it, Sean. You need to handle this. I run upstairs, and Hadassah has opened up a gallon of olive green paint that we were going to paint our living room. You know how hard it is to open a gallon of paint. You need like a screwdriver. I have, to this day, I have no idea how she did that. She opened up the gallon of paint. Not only did she open it, she has poured it out all over our new cream carpet of a house we just moved into. I walk in, and you ever, like, parents, have you ever had a moment where you can't even talk because your kid just does something dumb? You're like... <laughs> and what makes things even greater, she has now taken our comforter off of the bed, and she's cleaning up. She looks at me, she says, hey, Daddy, don't worry, I clean up, I clean up. She's now got green paint on our comforter and the carpet. Here's another time. Saturday morning, right here in Antioch, it's hot, it's Hades, and we think our kids are being quiet, they're being good. That's not true. Anytime that your kids are being quiet, they're being bad. Come on, somebody. So I think they're being good. I come downstairs, it's so hot, it's summertime, it's already melted, you know, we're all sweating, and they have taken the Costco-sized Hershey syrup bottle, like five-gallon bucket that you get at Costco, and then like a five-gallon bag of of chocolate chips, they've spread them all out over everything, the couches, squirted chocolate on the cushions. There wasn't one square inch of our living room that did not have chocolate over. And now it's so hot that chocolate chips have melted into the fabric. I come downstairs again. I'm looking, I'm like, why, why? I walk up to Mariah. She's like three. She has the bottle behind her back covered in syrup, Everything's covered in syrup. And I ask her, did you do this? No, Daddy. Who did it? She points to the twins who can't talk. You know, blame the ones who can't talk yet. Bad kids. Here's another one. This is really bad. We moved to another house for a while, and there was a second story. Hadassah, Mariah, and Alexandra somehow talked Victoria into allowing them to make a chain of, of like, like, a, like uh, bed sheets, tie them together, and their goal was going to be to hoist her up from the bottom story to the top. How many know when you're a kid, everything seems like a good idea? That'd be fun. So they get the, the, the thing, wrap it around, tie it around her, and as they start lifting her up, it's on the outside of her arms, it slips around her neck. And now they're hoisting, they can't see her because they're like on the top of the balcony, they're hoisting her up, she's like, ah, hey, help! They finally drop her down. I didn't even hear about this story till last year. <laughs> There's some stories you don't tell your parents until you're grown. How many you know they got delivered to that real fast? Here's the truth. Proverbs 22:15 says, "Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child." That's the word of God, ladies and gentlemen. And our role as parents is to drive that out of them. Kids, if left to themselves, do not make good choices. If they're just left to themselves, you ask a kid, hey, what do you want for breakfast? Would you like some fruit or would you like, would you like some chocolate cake? Every one of them, 100%, will look at you with wide open eyes and say, oh, I want chocolate cake. <laughs> you sure you don't want oatmeal? You don't want fruit? I want, I want chocolate cake. Truth is, some of you would say chocolate cake too, which I never really understood. How come we can't eat chocolate cake, but we can have chocolate donuts? That's dumb. But I'm not just talking about like decisions for breakfast. I'm talking about decisions for life. The point is, we have to train our children how to make good decisions. Now, you'd all agree with this statement. And that is this, that we, we all believe training in life is good. You agree with that? Yeah, training is good in life. Matter of fact, we send our kids to school for 12 years. Why? Because we believe in training. Then after they graduate high school, we, we encourage college another four years. Why? Because we encourage and we believe in training. One-fourth of their life in school because we believe in training. Many kids are in, in sports and coaches. Coaches are the best. Love coaches, man. They got this way. They can demand practice whenever they want to. It's Thanksgiving Day. It's Christmas morning. It's 3 in the morning. It doesn't matter. You will drive your children to practice, and you will sit there, and you will be quiet. Your, kid, your coach will yell at your kid. You don't say a word. Kid, I mean, the coach demands you get there on time, and they'll stay late, and they don't ever apologize. I've never had a coach come up and say, you know what? I'm so sorry we went a little late today. It'll never happen again. Never do I hear that. We sit in the parking lot twiddling our thumbs. Why? Because we believe in training. 
Even when kids get jobs, we believe they have to be, there has to be a great amount of training and preparation for they can get, so they can get comfortable in the position. We believe in training. Say, training is good. We do not let our kids just do whatever they want to do. We don't. Let me prove it to you. Your kid comes to you and says, hey, I'm done with school. I don't want to go to school anymore. You're fourth grade. I'm done. That's all I need. You do not accept that and say, that's cool. You don't do that. Why? Because we train them. Kid comes up and says, you know what? Two plus two is seven. I don't care what the teacher says. It's seven. None of us accept that and say, you know what? You're right. Whatever you feel like it's going to be, that's going to. None of us do that because we believe in training. We train them. And when a kid gets older, let's say he gets a job at like an air traffic controller. There's no way that we'd allow him to look at his boss and say, you know what? I don't even, I don't feel like working. I just want to draw pictures of planes, not help them land. (laughs) None of us would say that's okay because we're going to train them and we expect them to do certain things. Why? Because we Believe in training. I believe we ought to spend significant amounts of time training them in all things God too. Proverbs 22, 6 says, train up a child in the way they should go, and when they're old, they won't depart from it. This is healthy. This is encouraging them. It's engaged. It's intentional. Why? Because we raise children. We don't watch them. Listen to me. Babysitters watch. Parents train. Let me say that one more time. Babysitters watch, parents train. Why? Because we are trying to get our children to a a certain space and place in life. Every child, every kid will end up somewhere. Few kids will end up somewhere on purpose. This is intentional. This is motivation. It is our job. It's our responsibility and our greatest honor and privilege to train our kids. And this is not a humanistic approach. This is deeply spiritual. God has so much to say about raising kids and training up the next generation because he believes that we ought to train them. This is preparation. It's foundational. It's calling. Let me give you three stages of training uh, and investing into your kids, okay? Three stages. Not in your notes. You're going to want to write these down on the side margins. Number one is zero to five, zero to five years old. That's where you need to get control. Zero to five years old, get control to the point where you speak and they listen. Like the first time. You speak, some of you are like, that would be nice. <laughs> you speak and they listen the first time. That's certified. That's get control. Six to 12, that's training. That's training. That's where you're training them in instilling value systems and all of that. 13 to 18, that's coaching. They're starting to make their own decisions, but you're still there as a coach. You can't force a lot. You're coaching them, hoping they have the right values. So the first stage is get control. Second stage is training. Third stage is coaching. Here's the problem. A lot of parents are trying to get control in stage three. And for a lot of, a lot of kids, it's too late. It's too late. Not impossible. I believe all things are possible with God, but it's challenging. It's challenging. So we as a church, we want to help you with this because this has got to be an intentional investment, but I guarantee you, you'll say it's worth it. You'll say it's worth it. Here's a few things that kids need, okay? They need these things. Some of them are obvious, but I want to I drive them home a little, little deeper, all right? Number one, write this down. They need consistent time. Not just time. It needs to be consistent time. Time where they know they have with mom and dad. Time where you're investing in them. Any relationship takes time. And I know we're all so busy in life, but I'm just telling you this is one area you cannot afford to neglect. Go to their games. Go to the recitals. Show up, cheer them on. They'll act like they're embarrassed. Who cares? Be there. My, my, I have four girls, like I said, and we established daddy-daughter dates. And this is times where I take them out one-on-one, and we just, we just hang out. At first, it was like a really nice restaurant, and then they started getting twisted. They thought, like, every time we go out, it's going to be a shopping spree. <laughs> like, no, no, it's just coffee today, baby. It's just a, it's a, it's a parfait. That's all you're doing today. <clears throat> So it doesn't matter how much it costs. It's just the time. And while I'm there, I open the door for my daughters. I give them flowers on Valentine's Day. I mean, I'm taking care of them. I want to show them how a gentleman is supposed to treat them when they grow older. And so when some bozo comes up and gives, like, opens a door, that didn't impress them. They're like, my daddy does that. 
you know, what, what else you got? You know, I want to treat them like with respect, with honor, show them. And if you're, if you just have boys do, do dude time or girl time or mom, son time, whatever you got to do, make sure it's consistent. Cause listen, if it's important, put it on the calendar. If it's important, put it on the calendar. They need consistent time. Number two, they need consistent love. Consistent love. Notice consistent in all of these. Consistent love. Not just love every once in a while. When you feel good, you got a promotion, and you start giving that out. No, tell them every day. Tell them every day. I love you. I love you. I love you. Like, tell them when they're going off to school. Yell it out the window in front of friends. I love you. So proud of you. Love you. Mom, stop. I don't care. I want the world to know. I love you. Tell them. And then show them. I kiss my daughters every day. I talk to some people. They say they've never had their daughter or their, their dad or their mom say, I love you, I'm proud of you, or be affectionate to them. I'm telling you, there's a need inside. And this is more difficult for those of you that did not have it. You think that the next generation does not need it, but they do. I want to encourage you to do this. Be affectionate. Be affectionate. Be affectionate. Give time. Give love. Show them. And if you're not sure how this looks, just look at God. Come on. God's love is so consistent. He doesn't love you when you're doing good and then like withhold his love when you're doing bad. Come on. Is there anybody in the room that's grateful for the consistent, amazing, sacrificial, unconditional love of God our Father? That's the heart of God. And when we look at this, we need to come back to, to the realization, our kids need this. He's giving us what we need. It's our love language. We need consistent time, consistent love. Write this down, consistent discipline. I want to park here for just a moment because we don't talk about this much. But there are so many scriptures, I couldn't even fit them all in your notes. So many scriptures that God gives us about discipline. Now, before we get into this, let me preface and say this is not abuse. This is not this is not leaving marks. This is not shaking. This is not demeaning. It's not yelling. It's not physical abuse, emotional abuse. It's none of that. It's none of that. But I have, I, let me just confess this. We live in California, but we spanked our kids. Spanked them. Wooden spoon. Come on, somebody. Didn't beat them. Not leaving marks on them. I believe there's a little extra cushion on the bootay for a reason. And we, it wasn't spanking out of anger. It was like, hey. You, you, you did this, come over here. And they'd walk over. <laughs> Lay across my lap. I mean, it was super calm. It was never out of control. It was, it was never that. Lay across my knee. Lay across the, three times. You know, have you ever had like a parent tell you, this is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you? I remember thinking as a kid, like, why don't you turn around and let me spank you then? I'd much rather, let me feel the weight of this. Let me hurt more than you. <laughs> you guys are crazy. It is important though. Proverbs 29 verse 17 says, discipline your children. Like this is the word of God. They will give you peace of mind and will make your heart glad. I see parents struggle with this all the time. It might be discipline, but it's like erratic. It's just woo every once in a while. And we've all seen that parent in the grocery store yelling at the kid. Like I saw this one mom. I felt so bad for her. Like this is a lot of work. She's screaming at little Jimmy. And I don't know why it's always little Jimmy in the stories. <laughs> Jimmy's in the stories like four years old yelling, ah, I hate you. I wish you were dead. I mean, all this stuff. And mom's like, Jimmy, do you want me to? Jimmy, I'm going to count. I'm just one, Jimmy, one. One, Jimmy. Jimmy, I'm up one. one. You want me to go to two? Do you want me to go to two? Do you want me to go to two? Remember last time? You don't want me to take away your Nintendo, Jimmy. Okay, I can't. Two. I'm at two, Jimmy. I'm at two. I'm at two and a half. I hate you. I wish you were dead. Two and three quarters. I'm on the other aisle like, three. Three, Jimmy. Three. Three already. Come on. What's taking so long? Kids will push you to the limit. They know what your limit is, and they will push it. Man, I'm telling you, in our house, we didn't count to three. We counted to one. It was one discipline. And I developed a flick. The flick, like in public, we'd be around. Girls would do something, just pop. It's not abuse. It was just a flick to get their attention. 
Here's what we, we never discipline, we never discipline for accidents. Spill milk, break lamps, do that. We never discipline for that. We discipline for rebellion and lying. That's what we, we discipline. Because we're pastoring our kids. And we're not going to just let them do whatever they want to do. So when that happened, we just a little flick, pow. And they realized, when I, when I said no to mommy, I got pain in this general area. That hurt. It wasn't a pow. It was just like a... You hear what I'm saying? He said, when we discipline, we discipline a lot for the first like five or six years. Here's what I found out. We didn't have to the older they get. We didn't have to discipline them much. I mean, I, I can barely remember any discipline or reactions after like eight, nine, ten years old. Just maybe a, that's just a handful every once in a while. But we were so consistent. And I let my no be no. I don't, I don't say no and then not mean it. So I tried not to say no a lot. Like I tried to say yes to as much as I could, but when I said no, no means, it means no. Like, like don't, don't ask again. And they knew they got in trouble. If they asked the second time and I said no, they would get disciplined. If they, if they, they knew that if they would ask mom and she said no and then she came and talked to me, hey dad, can you, they got disciplined. If mom already said no, don't you try to play us against each other. This is important for married couples and divorced couples. Do not let those kids play you against each other. They need to see a unified front. And I feel so sorry for some parents. It's exasperating. It's like, can I do it? No. Can I do it? No. Can I do it? No. I said no. I said, okay, okay, okay. Man, the the kids just now learn that your no doesn't carry any weight. I'm telling you, discipline your children. The Bible says this will give you peace of mind. You want some peace of mind? Have some kids that are disciplined. It's training. Ephesians 6.4 says it this way. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Don't provoke your kids. Don't make them angry and just poke and poke and poke and drive, drive, drive. Rather, bring them up. Say, bring them up. With the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Not just discipline, instruction. Not just instruction, discipline. It's both and. Build them up. Instruction in the Lord. This is not a harsh spirit. It's not a harsh spirit when you do this. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 6 says it this way. These commands that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your kids. Give them to your kids too. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. This is not a harsh, oppressive schoolmaster spirit. It's through family life that values are communicated. It's when you're sitting at home watching the game. It's while you're driving in a minivan. It's when you're talking over a burger at a restaurant, begin to impress these things from God to them. I'm telling you, we ought to reinstate the family dinner table. We, we are so busy. It's fast food this and fast food that. And if we eat, it's like scarf it down real quick in the kitchen. Our kids aren't allowed to get up from the table until I say you're dismissed because we're talking. And I'm telling you, some of the greatest conversations take place right at the dinner table. Let me, let me say it another way that you can understand. Reinstate the dinner table without television or cellular devices. I had to clarify because din- family dinner is not family dinner if you're watching TV. I can't tell you some of the joy that we get in conversation. Every Wednesday night after youth group, which by the way, Wednesday night is coming up this Wednesday because it's Wednesday. And you students, junior high to high school, man, bring them here. They have like 250 students here, and they're just going for God, and it's amazing. Your kids will love it. But it's important to have a moment. So after that, we take them home. Sometimes it's fast food. Sometimes it's, you know, what we cook. It doesn't matter. But we sit down at the table, and we just start talking. And their hearts are open. We're laughing. I'm telling you, you need to develop relationship with your kids. This is, this is huge because, listen, it's hard to correct somebody you don't have a relationship with. Have you ever had somebody try to correct you that you didn't know? Like at the grocery store, the parking lot, you, and they try to tell you about yourself? How did you respond? Like, why, thank you, kind sir. I appreciate that. Oh, look into that. No, you didn't. You're like, you better back up off of me. You don't know me. That's what you did. Listen, that's how a lot of students feel because you're trying to correct them, but you don't have a relationship with them telling you, we have to develop relationship. If I have relationship with you, if I know you love me, I can take a rebuke from you. 
I can't take a rebuke from somebody I don't know loves me, that I don't have a relationship with. We've got to establish relationship, and that, my friend, takes time. It takes love. It takes discipline. This is important. It's not provoking. It's consistent discipline. Consistent discipline is good. Erratic behavior is, is confusing and damaging. Let it be consistent. Not flying off the handle, not yelling. We're not yelling at our kids. We're not going crazy. It's consistent. Okay? Proverbs 29 says it this way. To discipline a child produces wisdom. You want your children to be wise? It's take, it takes discipline. Watch this. But a mother is disgraced by an undisciplined child. I didn't say it. Don't get mad at me. A lot, of, a lot of parents feel disgrace because their kids are running crazy. As a matter of fact, a priest in the Bible, he had two kids, two boys. His name is Eli, and his sons were living La Vida Loca. <laughs> Did whatever they wanted to do in the church, and he never corrected them. Here's what happened. One of the saddest verses in the Old Testament, verse 13. I have warned him that judgment is coming upon Eli's family forever. Why? Because his sons are blaspheming God. Watch this. And he hasn't disciplined them. One translation says, he restrained them not. You don't just let kids do whatever they want to do. We're training them. Matter of fact, not in your notes, but Proverbs 13, 24 says, if you don't discipline your kids, you hate them. Well, guess what? I love my kids a lot. Some of you get that on the way home. <laughs> Meaning we discipline them a lot. Just show that consistent front. They need time consistently. They need love consistently. They need discipline consistently. Write this down. This is a heavy one. They need fathers. Amen. We are living in one of the most fatherless generations. As a matter of fact, statistically, if I were to ask and take a poll, a large majority in here would say you don't know your father, you had an abusive father or an absent father. A large majority. And I'm telling you, that's why there's such a desperate need for spiritual fathers, spiritual mothers to come in. Yes, it, mothers are important, but here's the problem. Most mothers, most mothers are there already, but a lot of fathers are gone. Here's the trick of the enemy. Listen to me. Listen to me. The trick of the devil is this. If he can get you to have an, a, a distorted view of your earthly father, he can get you to have a distorted view of your heavenly father. If, if your earthly father was abusive, distant, or absent, you can turn around and begin to think that God, your heavenly father, is abusive, he's harsh, he's absent, he doesn't care, he's aloof. I'm telling you, it is a trick of the enemy. We desperately need some fathers we need spiritual fathers to step up and say, I'm here for you. Matter of fact, Paul said it in 1 Corinthians 4. He said, you have 10,000 teachers, but you, have, you've, you lack fathers. And so he said, I will become one to you. I have birthed you, begotten you. Man, I'll, I'll be a father to you. Follow me as I follow Christ. Listen to me, ladies and gentlemen. Students, Kids, youth, they need somebody to follow. They need somebody to emulate. They need somebody to, to look up to. Somebody to say, follow me as I follow Jesus Christ. They need that in their lives. They need someone to say, I'm here for you. I got you. I'm not going to shame you. I want to train you because I love you. I want to invest in you. And I want to I see God's best in your life. This is the heart of God, ladies and gentlemen. Amen. It's the heart of God. As a matter of fact, the very last verse of the Old Testament in, in Malachi, he says this, that preaching, this preaching is going to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the hearts of the children and the hearts of the children back to their fathers. That's what we need in our generation. We need fathering. And I know it's difficult, but I'm praying in the mighty name of Jesus for every area that's in every relationship that has slipped in this area. I'm praying for God to bring restoration and healing to that void. Amen, everybody. Amen. Come on, let's clap our hands and say a good amen. I believe that for you. Psalm 145 puts it this way. Let each generation tell its children of your mighty acts. Let every generation tell the next generation. How about God? Oftentimes, the second generation is not as good as the first. Think about some movies, the sequels. How, do you know any sequels that were not as good as the first? Back to Future 2 was not as good as Back to Future 1. Hunger Games 2 was not as good as Hunger Games 1. It's just like there's a lot of things in life where the second generation is not as good as the first. You do not want to say that when it comes to your kids. 
As a matter of fact, as, as parents, we want our kids to pass us up. Take the baton, baby. Run, run, run. I'm cheering you on. We want, the, we want our kids to do more, go further than we've ever been before. That's what makes us proud. As a matter of fact, Jesus even said that. He says, greater works will you do. Hey, that's the heart of God. It's the heart of a father. It's the heart of God to want our kids to do more. And this requires training. So let me give you five things that I want my kids to know. Number one, these are five. There's a lot, but let me just give you five for lack of time. Okay, number one. I want my kids to have the best attitude in any given room. I want my kids to have the best attitude in any given room. This is important to me because 90% of the problems that people have are due to a bad attitude. Listen to me. A bad attitude will block the will of God for your life. It'll block the call of God in your life. Bad attitude. I don't want them to have a bad attitude. I don't want them to walk into a room and think that it's all about them. We've trained them this way. And here's a scripture, Philippians 2, 3. It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition and vain conceit. Like when you walk into a room, it's not about you. It's not focused on you. Instead, rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but to each of you looking to the interests of other people. We've taught a man, when you walk in a room, you smile. You look at adults in the eyes. You engage. You encourage. You're there for them. You're, you, you, you be a friend to those who don't have one. And when I ask, like, this, this is what we're training. Do you make the room better? Do you make the room that you walk into more like Christ? Do you make a negative situation turn into a positive situation? We're not gossiping. We're not blasting people on social media. We don't roll that way. The Nepstads don't roll that way, and you won't, you won't do that. I mean, this is all part of training. I want them to have the best attitude in the room. I want them to laugh loud. I want them to laugh often. I want them to have a great time but it's important to have the best attitude in the room. Number two, have the best work ethic in the room. Have the best work ethic in the room. This generation lacks a work ethic that we need to instill inside of them. I'm not blaming them. We look at mom and dad. We got to train them. This doesn't doesn't just happen in people's lives. It's a lack of training. Jesus said the greatest on the planet is a servant. Teach them how to serve. Colossians 2.23 says it this way. Whatever you do, work what? Heartily to whom? To the Lord. Like whatever you do, we're doing this for God. Now listen to me. I never put undue pressure on my kids just because they're pastor's kids. Early on in the church, I even told the church, I was like, hey, don't put pressure on my kids. Don't ever say, hey, you're the pastor's kids. You ought to do this. You ought not to do that. Don't ever do that. I said, don't do that. And I'm so grateful for this church because you haven't. There's a lot of pastor's kids that are jacked up because there's so much pressure. Man, my kids are kids just like your kids are. I love your kids. You love our, my kids. We'll, we'll pastor them together. But I'm telling you, I've been grateful for that. We never put undue pressure on them. But here's one thing about a work ethic. My girls, when they were here when we started this church 14 years ago. But I don't think they remember everything that we did. Like the work ethic that we have now, nowadays, oh, it's a strong work ethic. But even back then, we're getting to church early, setting up, tearing down in a suit before I preach and lead worship and cleaning toilets in between, had a side job before we started, I mean, as we started the church, all this stuff is going on. You have to go back to instilling that in them because if you're not careful, kids, all they want is power and authority and they don't know the price you paid to get it. So we brought them on the journey with us. And we all want to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant, enter into your reward. We all want God to say that to us. How are we going to get our kids to hear that? You got to work hard at getting them to work hard. They built this church with us. I'm so proud of my daughters with all my heart. My, my, my heart leaps inside every time I see them. I mean, every time I see them. I'm taking a picture of my daughter in the, in the green room just before service. She's making me tea. I took a picture. Just love, I love, 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 love. With all of my heart, I love my girls. And I'm telling you what, they have sacrificed and they have served. They've been to every service. They've been to every prayer meeting. They've been to every youth group. They've been on every trip. We take them everywhere with us. This church has never once taken their daddy away from family. If anything, this church has knitted our hearts together because we serve as a team. It's Team Nepstad. And because of that, they have come along. They've inst- we've instilled in them a good work ethic. We serve as a team. Number three, I want them to always show honor. Always show honor. Always show honor. We live in a world where dishonor and disrespect is so prevalent. Would you agree with that? Like, have you ever gone outside and been over-honored? Like, hey, guys, you're honoring me too much. Or do you feel a disrespect in society? I asked a a bunch of students one time. They went to a local high school. 
hey, is it cooler to, to disrespect your teachers or to honor them? 100% of them said dishonor. 100%. This is why there needs to be some training. I feel sorry for teachers nowadays because there's zero respect. There's zero honor. We need to teach our kids to honor authority. Ephesians 6.1 says it this way. Children, obey your parents. Come on, parents. Where are you at? This is right. Like it's right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so it may go well with you and you may live a long life. You want to live a long life? Honor mom and dad. It doesn't always mean that you have to obey them after you get out of the house. But it's, children, obey your parents. This is talking about anybody who's living at home with mom and dad. 25-year-old still at home? Children, obey your parents. You want to be grown? Move out. Get a job. But until then, you honor. Now listen, when you move out, you can still honor but not have to obey. You can show honor even though like you'd be 40 years old. And your dad tells you, mom tells you do something. I always take into consideration what my parents have told me. What do you think about this move? What do you think about that? I want their input because I believe there's blessing there. Yeah. But there have been some times where I say, I honor you, but I'm going to do this instead. Yeah. Honoring is about a heart. It's an attitude. And you want to give that as much as you can. First Peter says, honor all people. Like that's, that's pretty much sums it up. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody gets out of that. Honor all people. And here's the trick of the enemy. The trick of the enemy is this. He can get parents to dishonor kids or kids to dishonor parents. Jesus does not move where there is not honor. He did no miracles in his hometown because there wasn't any honor. You want God to move in your house? Let honor come back. Let respect come back. And, and as people of Christ, we are honoring people as unto God. I know people don't always deserve honor and respect. I give it anyway. Why? Because they're really irrelevant in the equation. I'm trying to do this as unto God. I want God to feel my honor through people. I want my girls to honor people. We're told in the Bible in one place to honor all authority. All authority? That's big. To honor all authority in life? Yes. I remember one time when I was a, a youth pastor, this mom went down to the schoolhouse, and she told this teacher off because her kid got a bad grade. She's like taking a purse, swinging at the teacher. She felt justified that she was defending her kid. Let me tell you what she really did. She really just gave a license to disrespect authority to her son. Here you go. Disrespect authority. Again, another trick of the enemy. Because if God set up all authority, he's put that in place. And the devil tries to come and get us to disrespect and dishonor. And if a child won't respect and honor mom and dad, they'll never respect a teacher. If they don't respect the teacher, they'll never respect the police. If they don't respect the police, they will never respect the government. If they don't respect government, they will not respect God. God has set up all authority. There, I'm telling you, this is the trick of the enemy. And I, I know we don't agree with and respect in some ways, but man, we're going to show honor as much as we can because we believe that we, wanna, we want our kids to learn this, to have the blessing of God on their life. Romans 12.10 puts it this way. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor giving preference to one another. Number four, number four. To discover and fulfill God's purpose. I want my girls to say, my dad and mom helped me discover my purpose. We have a growth track. It's going on right now. We've had 300 people join the church this year already. They're going through discovering their purpose. Give us four Sundays. We'll help you discover what makes you unique. And then set you loose in your passion to serve because you'll never come alive in purpose until you're making a difference in somebody else's life. I guarantee you that. So growth track is today at 1015 or tonight at 515. And it's every starts again at the beginning of every single month. We want to help you. Because Ephesians 2.10 says we are God's handiwork, his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. There was something for you to do first, and then you were created for that. Let me say it another way. There was a what before there was a you. God's never had an uh-oh moment. There's never been an oopsie baby where he's like, oh, Gabriel, find something for him to do. We weren't expecting him. <laughs> There's purpose for every life. Can I hear an amen? amen? Every child is different. So part of our calling is to help children discover their purpose because the Bible's just told us, train up a child in the way they should go. Problem is a lot of kids don't know the way they should go. They're going to make decisions. They won't always make good ones. But as parents, our job is to come alongside and guide them along the journey. And part of what we do is we protect them. We are guardians 
for a reason. We need to do some guarding. Can I give you another word of advice? Don't let your, your kids choose their own friends. They will choose wrong a lot of the times. Our girls, I mean, just you run your friends through us. We've never done a sleepover, ever. Our girls have never slept over any friend's house. Why? Just don't want to. That hurts some people's feelings. I don't care. There's been too many bad things happen in sleepovers. I'm not willing to risk your feelings and risk my kids for your feelings. It's just something we put in our... First, First Corinthians says it this way. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Choose your kids' friends. Choose them for them. Have you ever had like a really sweet kid? You just saw a sweet kid hang around the bad crowd and turn? What happened? They were such a sweet kid. I know. Bad company corrupts good character. We protect them. You can't protect them forever, but I can for right now. I'm a guardian. That's what we do. And along these lines, we ought to also protect life in the womb. Because one of the primary responsibilities of a parent is to protect. And how can we allow our kids to find their destiny and their purpose in life if they don't even make it out of the womb? I'm telling you, there's purpose in every single life. Psalm 139 says this, that I was knit together in my mother's womb. Every child with a heartbeat, God has a purpose for. And ladies and gentlemen, we ought to defend life and we ought to say, God, we want to help those who are in a difficult position. Maybe they're, they're considering abortion. We have an incredible ministry in Concord called Options for Women that help ladies and dads who are dealing with unexpected pregnancy without condemnation, but we just want to help them because we believe every life matters. Black lives matter. White lives matter. Asian lives matter. And they all matter in the womb because what happens, they can't even find purpose if they don't make it out. The primary responsibility of a parent is to protect them. We ought to do that from the heartbeat. Word of God, I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen. I know it's not popular in California, but I'm just telling you. How many are glad your parents chose life? Let me say one last thing about this. Every, every, and I mean every, 100% of the ladies that I've talked to that have had abortion, every one of them have regretted it. Everyone. 100% of 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 the people who have not had an abortion, like they kept their kid, they never regretted it. I know it's difficult. It's scary. We want to help you. I'm not pointing a finger. I'm just saying we want to help you because there's destiny on that life. Let me read a scripture. Proverbs 1, 8, and 9. Kids, listen up. It says this. My child, listen when your father corrects you. Don't neglect your mother's instructions. When you learn from them, you will, it, will, it will crown you with grace and a chain of honor will be around your neck. This is valuable information that your parents are training you. Last one. I want to teach my kids how to have a personal and thriving relationship with Jesus. Not just, not just like personal. I want it to thrive. I want to make it appealing. Follow me as I follow Christ. We're going to have a lot of fun doing this. Teach them how to pray. My kids walk in and they hear me pray. I, want, I take them to prayer meetings all the time. They've been around. Just teach them. Teach them. Don't expect them to get it. Show them. And then teach them how to worship. I remember sitting my girls on my lap, putting some worship music on and explaining, here's why we lift our hands. We lift our hands to God because we surrender. Many times, like you say to me, Daddy, Daddy, pick me up. That's many times what we feel to God. I teach them how to worship. Many times in worship, when they start getting a little ADD, I lean over and I say this. I say, hey, if you worship real good, we got ice cream after church. We offer $100 for any of our girls that read through the Bible in a year. Why? You reward what you want repeated. We reward everything else. Why not that? We had forced music lessons. Forced. Daddy, how long do we have to do this? Until you're 18. (sighs) Why? How come we have to do this? You don't get an option whether you do math or not. This is part of your curriculum. Why did I do that? even though they didn't want to do it because I saw a calling on them for worship. And as a dad, I began to start the training because I wanted to be intentional in this. And now I watch them worship. I watch them lead in worship and youth group and on stage. And I, I see this inside of them and my heart just leaps within me because I saw the potential in them a long time ago. What is your kid's gift? Help them discover it. Don't squash it. Build it up. Challenge them. Stretch them. Love them and cheer them on.
Teach them to be generous and willing to share all of these things. Train them in such a way, is what I'm saying in a nutshell. Train them in such a way where they're not just riding on mom and dad's coattails to the point where they turn 18 and they bail on Jesus and they bail on the church. No, instill in them a passion for God. Instill in them a love for your family. Instill in them a heart for church. Don't just watch them grow up. Train them up. Because God has an amazing plan for them so that you can say, just like John did in 3 John, that I have no greater joy than to see my children walking in truth. I'm telling you, you want that. For your biological kids, for your spiritual kids, to see them walking in truth. Now give me your heart for just a moment. I realize there's a lot of tension with relationships. I understand there's a lot of, you might be in a very difficult spot where you're trying to get through your kids and maybe the door's closed, maybe, maybe they don't talk to you. Let me help you. Let me give you an idea. It comes from a book called Recreate by Ron Luce. Recreate by Ron, L-U-C-E. There's a principle called the window principle. This idea is that your kids have a window to their soul. It opens up, closes, and you never know when it's going to open. And when it opens up, you got to jump through it because you never know when it's going to open again. It's, it's open. You can tell when their heart's open. They want to include you in something. Like last night, my daughter, Victoria, she was on the bed, and I was studying for today. I had to study, and she said, Dad, you want to listen to my favorite song? Yes, put my notes away, and we laid down, we, we cuddled, and we listened to her song. Why? Because I knew that was a window. We were at the beach a while ago, and a couple years ago, and they wanted me to go jump in the water, and I, I don't want to jump in the water. The water on the West Coast is freezing cold. Dad, come and jump in the water with us. Immediately jump without thinking, hesitation, just jumped in the water. Why? Because it was a moment. It was just a little moment. It's like, it's like the, the girl who comes down and dad's watching TV or on the computer and says, hey, dad, some kids called me fat at school today. The dad responds like, yeah, you know you're not fat. Hurry up and go upstairs, get washed up and do your homework. And then the next day, in the morning time, the dad comes down and wants to talk. Like, hey, what happened at school the other day? And she says, Nothing. What happened? There was a window open, and now it's closed. You need, to, you need to jump through the windows. Go through the windows when their hearts are open. That usually comes from you doing something with them, something that they like. Take them shopping. Take them for coffee. Allow, don't press them, but all of a sudden, they'll open up. Moms, let me give you a word of advice for your boys. Don't expect them to talk girl to you. You sit down and you look at me. You tell me about your day. We just want a sword. We just want a sword or something. We want to shoot something. A lot of moms get angry with their sons because they don't talk pink. We're not created to. You want to, you want your kids, your son to open up? Just go sit by him while he's playing video games and don't say a word. Go watch him play basketball in the in the backyard. Hey, can I just come watch you play? Really? Yeah. Mom, you're acting a little weird. I just want to watch you. You, you wait. A couple of days of that, pretty soon he'll open up. Because it's shoulder time. That's what he needs. I'm telling you, you need to jump back through the windows. Because everybody else is trying to pull your kid in different directions. We've got to get back to where we train them in the things of the Lord. And it, I'm here to tell you today, it's not, it's not impossible for lost prodigals to come home. And it's not impossible for relationships with your parents to be restored. Today, I'm going to have my daughter, Alexandra, come out here. Give it up for Alexandra. <laughs> Love this girl so much. I had a thought. And I'm, I have one of my four daughters closing in prayer for every service today. I just wanted to pray over you and these relationships, if that's all right. Maybe just lift your hands like this in your lap. And I wanted to pray for us what we just talked about. God, I thank you for all the fathers and all the mothers that are in this room today. I thank you for all the families, Jesus, that have come here today um, as a, for a purpose, Jesus, together as a family, Lord God. And I thank you, Lord Jesus, for all the fathers and mothers in this room, Lord Jesus, that, Lord, you would help them, Lord, to train up their kids, to build them up, Lord, to where you have for them, to the um, purpose that you have for them, to the place that you have prepared for them, Jesus. Use these parents, Lord God, to really show the love, to really reflect you, Jesus, to show their kids what real love looks like, what... Um, 
what a father figure looks like, Jesus. I pray over these parents, Lord Jesus, that you give them the strength, Lord God, and the wisdom, Lord Jesus, to really direct their kids and to guide them, Lord God, on the paths that you have called them to be, Lord. And I pray for restoration, Jesus. Lord God, I pray for any child who has wandered off, Lord Jesus, or has gone off track, Lord, that you would bring them back, Jesus. That, Lord, it's never impossible, Lord, for someone to come back to you, Lord Jesus. That is just your specialty, God. You do the impossible. And so, Lord God, we believe it for those who have strayed away, Lord God. We believe, Lord, that they're going to come back to you and they're going to see you, Jesus. And they're going to see how great their Father, Lord God, how great their their Heavenly Father is to them, Lord God. And so, Lord God, I pray that you would bless them. Bring respect, Lord God. Bring honor back into this household. Bring healing, Lord God, from any past things, Lord God, from any past things that have been said, Lord God, or that have been done, Lord Jesus. I pray that there would be... um, a forgiving, uh, a forgiving place that um, would start to take place in their minds, Lord God, a forgiving heart, Lord Jesus. And so, Lord God, I pray that you would build up these families, Lord Jesus, in unity, God. We believe it, Jesus. We believe it's possible. And so, Lord God, we pray that you would let it be done, Lord. Let it be done in each and every one of these families to be in unity and chasing after you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. just bow your heads with me for a moment as we pray. Maybe you're here today and you say, Sean, talk about relationships. My relationship with my Heavenly Father, with God's not right, and I need it to be. I'm so glad you're here today. I want to lead you in a commitment prayer to give your life to God. Maybe you've never done that before. Maybe you once were close to God, but you've drifted, you've strayed away. Today, can I, can I have the highest honor of just leading you in a relationship with Almighty God? If you're here and you say, that's me, I'm not going to have you stand or come to the front. My heart's not to embarrass you. It's to connect you to Jesus. On the count of three, I'm going to ask you to just raise your hand if you say, Sean, count me in that prayer when you pray it. I want to give my heart to God. Here and in the family worship room, all over, on the count of three, lift it up. One, two, come on, be bold. Three, lift it up. This is me. Just leave it up. Yes, 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 yes. Yes, 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 yes. Lots of hands. Come on, let's clap our hands, everybody. Every hand represents a soul God is passionately in love with. He knew you in your mother's womb, and there's destiny and purpose on your life. Could you just say this prayer out loud in unison? Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me right where I am. Today I give my life to you, and I ask you to forgive me from all of my sin. Wash me clean, and I will be clean. Be my Lord and Savior, and use all of my gifts to reach others now with your amazing love. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Somebody say good amen. Come on, can we clap our hands one more time for everybody who prayed that prayer? Come on.